Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by World Football Identities, Phil Kicharumilides and Kelly Summers to give a full preview of the new Premier League and La Liga seasons. As well, we'll give our tips on the top four, league winners, and of course, our wild predictions, which always allows for a bit of fun. I'm Mark Schwarzer, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the new season of the Optus Sport Football Podcast, new for the 2023-24 season. Joining me, Mark Schwarzer, each week is Phil Kutromilides, a man who described himself on Twitter as having a Greek passport, a London accent, and a Spanish residency. Phil, welcome. Thank you very much, Mark. Yeah, all of those things are true. So uh, yeah, very pleased to be here for this season. London accent, mate. I'll tell you what, that's good because at least everyone will be able to understand you. Um, I'm jealous about your Spanish residency. Greek passport, though. Tell me, is it a good passport to travel around Europe in? It's certainly better than a British passport at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good one. Uh, it lets me uh, live in Spain uh, without any sort of problems and, uh, yeah, get to travel around uh, without any sort of problems. Go back to London, watch some football there, watch plenty of football in Spain as well. So, yeah, all good. It's almost as hard a life as I've got. I'm, I'm not jealous because I'm enjoying the same life. Uh, also on the pod today is someone whom I've spent plenty of time on the sidelines in the Champions League games, also a part of the Optus Sports FIFA Women's World Cup coverage, the very talented Kelly Summers. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Mark. Oh, that's the nicest you've ever been to me, I think. Describing as talented, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, look, I didn't write that actually. If I'd written it, I would probably I would have written something else, nothing personally. <laughs> but look, I'm, I'm a bit upset with you because we've been in Australia for nearly four weeks, right? And this is the first time we've actually come face to face with each other and it's over a monitor, over a screen. You're definitely avoiding me and I'm taking it personally. Well, the Matildas, fortunately, have got through to a game in Sydney now, Mark. So you're going to be coming back to Sydney. So maybe our paths will cross. But yeah, we've um, you can say maybe we've done it well. We've timed it well that we've kept inconveniently or conveniently missing each other. But we've seen each other. Obviously, we've been crossing to each other quite a bit, but then we have to be professional, don't we? We do. We certainly do. Yeah. And I mean, not used to that, are we? Let's be honest. I mean, all those Champions League nights, let's not even go there. We're not even going to get onto a bottle of red wine yet. So <laughs> let's leave that for later on. Um, today on the podcast is always fun and sometimes embarrassing if we play it back later in the season, because this is the preview episode. Uh, so be careful what you guys predict, where we go with it, because um, there will be definitely some embarrassing moments later on in the season. We'll delve through the Premier League first up, then into the Spain's La Liga, both of which have every game live and exclusive to Optus Sport all season long. Firstly, let's start about the Premier League. Look, hot off the Premier League summer series, there's been a few players who have actually stood out for for their respective clubs. Um, Let's discuss players to watch this season. They could either be at new clubs, new to league, or new to good form. So, guys, I want to know who has excited you so far and who can you not wait to see in the start of this, or coming to the start of this new season. Kelly, let's start with you. 
Do you know, I've, um, I was really excited when Maurizio Pochettino was appointed at Chelsea and it's obviously been a fascinating summer there watching players go. Some players, I know some Chelsea fans wanted to stay, the likes of Mason Mount, but then some of the players that they have brought in as well. Um, I'm really excited to see Christopher and Kunku and also Jackson as well. I think they could potentially be a really interesting front pair. It looks like Nkunku is going to play more of a 10 role. Jackson potentially is the number nine. They're reportedly Chelsea is still in the market for another striker, depending on what happens with Lukaku. But those two, I'm really excited by. Nkunku, I know, did pick up a bit of an injury in preseason this week. But I just think they're coming into the league with pedigree and the way they link up and the way that Pochettino wants to play with those wing-backs, as we saw at Spurs and previously, I think they could be really exciting this season, Chelsea, which is probably a word we didn't use to describe them last season. Phil, who's uh, who's someone you're looking out for? And there's quite a few Spanish signings, players <laughs> coming out of La Liga into the Premier League. So I'm, a sh- I'm, a, I'm, I'm thinking you're going to go towards that. Uh, you're thinking absolutely right. It won't exclusively be players who have played in, in, in Spain that I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I too had picked out Nicholas Jackson as someone who I was really excited to see. And pre-season for Chelsea, he's, he's continued that exciting form. I'm fortunate enough to have watched him a lot last season, so got a relatively good idea of how he's going to play. And if he continues the way he ended last season, then it's going to be really a really, really good signing for a for Chelsea, he scored ten goals in the last two seasons of the um, of the in the last two months of the season. Like he, he sort of just exploded and almost out of nowhere. Um, we knew that he was talented, but he hadn't been scoring goals for Villarreal. He hadn't really had a chance for Villarreal. And in those last two months, he just kept scoring and scoring and getting better. Almost literally every game. And what I like about him is that he's he's quick, but he's not just not just physically quick as in he runs quickly, he's, he's quick in the box. So he makes decisions really quickly when he's in the box at the right time, which is what you want from a striker. His hold-up play is excellent. Physically, we'll see how he gets on in the Premier League because it is a different kettle of fish to, the, uh, to, to, to La Liga. But he, is, as, as Kelly pointed out, is a really exciting signing for uh, Chelsea. And, you know, Chelsea fans should be getting excited, I think, because let's be honest, it's not going to be any worse than last season, is it? And with a new manager... New signings as well. Nicholas Jackson, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see. Um, just briefly, let me also just mention someone else who's come from Spain, and that's Pau Torres, who um, also another former Villarreal player who's, who's been signed at Aston Villa. I think he, he, he could be a really, really key signing for, for Villa, linking up with Unai Emery again, who knows him very well. Um, I've been a big fan of him for a long time. Really steady, really smooth on the ball really confident as well and he's got this really good connection with with uh, with Unai Emery so there you go Mark all right you called it okay two players who are in La Liga who are in the Premier League now those are my two players to watch at the moment I'm I'm, I'm sorry I'm predictable no Phil I'm gonna go with a third one mate because I want to know about Justin Clive I've seen him a little bit in the Bundesliga RB Leipzig struggled to get consistency he was at Valencia on loan last season he signed obviously for Bournemouth what do you think is is it the hype is it the name has I mean, this kid's got potential, but do you think he'll be able to do it and deliver in the Premier League as well? I mean, he's absolutely got potential. He was he started really strongly for Valencia, and then he was a little bit in and out of the of the team with the with um, with injuries. But I think it's a really interesting signing for the manager that Bournemouth have got as well because they've brought in Andoni Raula, who was who was also in La Liga last season. So someone I I've seen quite a lot of at, at Rai Vallecano. He loves to play. He played with two out and out winners. Really high intensity, really high press. Um, his teams play with volume. So it's all about getting balls into the box, a high number of balls into the box, high number of tackles, high number of, of dribbles. 
and Justin Clivert, if he stays fit, is a really interesting signing for for Bournemouth and the way that they're going to play under Antonio Raola as well with those with those wide men. If he stays fit, because like I said, he missed quite a few games last season through uh, through injury. It's it's almost like a statement signing for for uh, for Bournemouth, who have, who have who have landed one of Europe's top young managers in Antonio Raola and have got a really top young player. So um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 unexpectedly positive for Bournemouth. And could well be an absolute snip at nine and a half million pounds. So that could be one to watch out for. And we'll go on later on in the pod about fantasy football. Maybe someone that you might be interested mm-hmm. in. Kelly, I've got to come to you on Joel Pedro. Being a Watford fan that you are, diehard. Some would say it's not your fault. You're probably brought into it, born into that family <laughs> of being a Watford fan. How good is this guy? Are you surprised he's gone to Brighton? Surprised it's taken that long for him to leave Watford? There has been so much transfer speculation around him. Obviously, we saw Emmanuel Dennis depart last summer and it was kind of Joao Pedro, Ishmael Assar and Emmanuel Dennis who was going to go. We got rid of Emmanuel Dennis and Pedro was the one we wanted to keep because we knew he had the most potential. I think the fact that Dennis didn't really hit the heights at Forest says it all really. Pedro, though is an exciting young talent. He could have gone last summer and in January, but he committed to doing another season to try and get Watford back up. And trust me, he did everything he could to get Watford back up. Unfortunately, a few others didn't. He got 11 goals in a Watford side that didn't create much last season. And at times I described him as, you know, when you're at school and you're playing along and then someone invites one of the older kids over to play. It was kind of like that. Like, he's just so good. He would do stuff. And it ma- he made it look so easy. There's It kind of, in a way, reminds me a bit of Lauren James at the Euros for England in terms of sometimes he looks like he's not doing anything and then he just pops up and he makes it look so effortless. Equally, he will run track back and he's got work ethic and he really cares. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Um and I'm very, very excited to see him go to Brighton of all the clubs because although the one thing that worries me is the number of strikers they have there, I think they've got, a, they only, their recruitment, I'm going to say they only sign good players. Every club signs some bad players, but I think they're the kind of club that will develop him and make him into the player that we all think he can be. And I actually think he'll be a snip at that price tag. And I think he'll easily get double figures this season. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Dominic Slobosley. I've watched him a lot in Germany as well. I think he's a really good signing for Liverpool. I know it was a bit hefty, the price. Harvey Barnes is another one, Newcastle. Ale- Alexis McAllister, we saw how wonderful he was at the World Cup. And I think he's an absolute bargain for Liverpool at £35 million. And look, I have to mention Andre Anana going to Manchester United. All the talk was about <laughs> David De Gea. Phil, has there been any more talk about David De Gea possibly ending up somewhere in Spain? Or is there, is there somewhere else that he may end up? I literally just Googled before we came on air, where is David De Gea? What is he doing? Because there's been literally no talk about him. He's married to a Spanish pop star. So there were some pictures of the Spanish pop star Durne and David De Gea with their, with their kid. Um, but there was no, there was no talk of, of where he's going to play and certainly not in Spain. I don't think anyone's got anywhere near the, uh, the money that would be required to uh, to employ David De Gea, and you know, speaking of money, I, I I live and work in Spain, and you know, hearing you guys talk about thirty five million pound being a bargain, I just have to change my mentality a little bit because in Spain nobody spends thirty five million. And if someone does that, they're uh, they'll absolutely splash the cash. So uh, yeah, definitely no one's got the money to um to uh, get David De Gea. I mean, okay, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, well, Real Madrid essentially, and, and they definitely don't need him with uh, with Thibaut Courtois. So no, it's, it's really quite strange that someone who's been uh, number one goalkeeper at one of the biggest clubs in the world for the best part of a decade 
best paid player in the Premier League for a long time. And there's no talk of him doing anything at the moment, certainly not in Spain. Well, we've talked about uh, Young Player of the Year a couple of times in, in some of the players you guys mentioned there. Um, I also mentioned Slobber Sly. Who are you going to go for? I mean, it, can we look beyond Erling Haaland? Because obviously the criteria is it must be 23 or under as the season starts. He still fits that. So, there, there, I mean, he's very much in that bracket. Anyone else pop out for you guys, uh, Kelly? That's scary, isn't it, that he's still under 23? I think sometimes we forget that with the number of goals that he scores. I think he'd win young player of the season, old player of the season if it existed. Obviously, that's just normal player of the season. But I, I can't look beyond him. I, I really can't. I think there's some really exciting young talents in the Premier League. But for me, he's probably the best young player in the world right now, isn't he? I don't know what Phil thinks. I mean, yeah, 23 is still technically uh, very, very young. I mean, you know, 33 is pretty young for me. But yeah, 23 as a footballer is uh, <laughs> is, uh, is young. Um, maybe a left, well, not a left field suggestion, but what about William Saliba? If he, if, if he, stay, if he stays fit for Arsenal, um, he was so important last season. And then when he got injured, we saw how important he was when, when the title challenge derailed a bit. He's only 22. So if he stays fit, Arsenal keep going and go, get closer to Manchester City and who knows, push them and we have a proper, proper title race till the end of the season. I think we, um, Saliba could be could be very, very important. But yeah, all right. I mean, it's it's, it's difficult because we're now we're going to try and predict our top goal scorer, which is going to be early in Haaland. Player of the season could well be early in Haaland. So it's it's, 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 it's difficult, isn't it? But yeah, maybe, maybe Saliba if he's, if he's important for, uh, for Arsenal. Well, I'm going to continue my bias um, and talk about a goalkeeper because I, I think we've got to look at James Trafford. I think the Euro, sorry, the uh, yeah European Championships where England just recently won, he was absolutely outstanding in that tournament. Um, and at Burnley, I, you know what? We'll get onto that shortly about teams being being relegated. I think he's got a massive part to play for for Burnley this season. If they have a good season then James Trafford could be one of those people. I mean, I think he's the next, could be one of the other ones. So I think Erling Haaland will be the one that's going to get player of the season, young player of the season, because he's 23 when the season starts. But James Trafford, I think, definitely to look out for. Right, let's go straight to the other end. Let's go straight to relegation. Who's going to get relegated? I mean, is it going to be the usual suspects, the three promoted teams? Will they go back down? Let's go, Kelly. Oh, why do I have to do this one first? I don't like oh, doing the horrible ones I just first. like to put you on the spot sometimes. <laughs> um, I think I think it's going to be tough. I think, well, it's obviously going to be tough, but I think the last couple of seasons have been a bit of an anomaly. I know that everyone thinks Luton are going to go straight back down. I think people aren't giving them maybe enough credit, and I'm a big fan of Rob Edwards at Luton as well. I think he's a brilliant coach. Sheffield United, I'm going to pick to go down. I'm going to say... And this, I know you're going to ask me for a bold prediction later and this kind of gives it away, but I'm not going to pick Luton in my bottom three. And that's hard as a Watford fan. That's very hard. Um, I'm going to say Sheffield United. I'm worried about Crystal Palace. And my third one, I'm a little bit worried about Fulham, potentially, just second season. But I know that's a bit rogue. Sheffield United, I worry that they've got an over-reliance on the likes of Illiman and Dye. And I like what they're doing. And I like that the faith that they've put in Paul Heckenbottom, who's done a brilliant job. And I think they'll stick with him. But I just worry about the depth of their squad at the moment. Phil, you're going to tell me that I've been really mean there, I'm sure. No, I'm going to say the opposite. I'm going to say you've been unbelievably generous as a Watford fan and back in Luton like that. I was expecting some kind of you know, the rivalry to, uh, to come I through. Don't, I don't... Do you know what? I don't know if I think they're going to stay up. I just think they're going to surprise people because every single article that you're reading at this time of year is bottom. Could they rival Derby's lowest points ever? 
I just think that I think back to when Bournemouth went up originally what was that 2015 2016 and everyone wrote them off before a ball was kicked they did have Eddie Howe and we've seen just how impressive Eddie Howe's been since but I think spirit and togetherness and being that such a heavy underdog can sometimes work in your favor that's that's all I'm saying no you're right I mean anything that would constitute them even being close to staying up I think would be would be something of a, of a surprise because yeah everything that's being written and said and even maybe sort of dictated by logic would suggest that they're going down and with a relatively low points tally. I mean, I think it's just worth explaining to people what a, what a massive deal it is for them to for the, them coming up. I mean, I haven't lived in the UK for uh, for a while, but you know, when I did live there, Luton is not close to being a, a Premier League club, and and they're there. Yes, they do have history and they do have pedigree and FA Cups and you know lots of lots of uh, decades of, of support and passionate supporters etc but for them to make it is a is a is a massive deal and that's why i think they're such strong favorites to uh, to go down um i would have them in my bottom three but yeah you're you're right they might surprise people it might not be that um that clear cut um and then who else um i look at nottingham forest and, and their lack of transfer dealings and it just feels like they haven't necessarily been as big. I mean, last season they seemed to sign everyone. Um, I don't know how many players they signed, but it was it was a ridiculous amount. And this season it seems to be a rather lopsided squad. Uh, I was looking at their fixtures as well and their first four away games, I think, are Arsenal, Man City, Man United and Chelsea. And I think they won once away from home all season last season. So if they get off to a rough start, it could be, could be a difficult season for them. Um, and an out, outside bet, and I know we're going to go for our wild predictions in a minute, but I think maybe maybe Brentford could struggle, um, particularly with with Ivan Tony not being there and, and just how important he's been for goals and how important goals are in a relegation battle. And, and Brentford wildly overachieving uh, last couple of seasons has been uh, not entirely down to Ivan Tony's goals, but I think, you know, you can't overlook when someone scores 20 goals in a, in a team like Brentford, how, how key that is. And he's going to be out for eight months. And then when he does come back, what kind of physical and, and mental shape he's going to be in after, after a ban. So yeah, I think it's, um, could be an outside bet there. The question I wanted to ask you, Mark, is the kind of ex-pro here, how much, so when you mentioned uh, fixtures there, when looking at teams and they could struggle, my arguments that would be, everyone's got to play everyone twice home and away. So how much does it psychologically, if you start a season with heavy beatings or with those tough teams, does it affect you as a player? Does that automatically, obviously it puts you on the back foot in terms of points, but does it really psychologically make you feel like you aren't good enough to be there, that you're going to struggle? It depends on how you go against those teams. So if you go in those games and absolutely get hammered and played off the park, that's where it's a reality check. That's where it's like, okay, it, it's really tough. Like, I mean, if you're playing a Man City and you get beat 5-6-0, then it's kind of almost like, well, that's kind of expected because Man City are that good and they can actually do it to any team. Um, but if you've had a couple of those big scores against teams that, that you know are big, you know, doing well in big clubs, it can bite into the confidence. I think what's key is their home form. We talk about Luton, um, Kenilworth Road, just over 10,000 people. People are going to, teams are going to hate going there. They're going to absolutely hate having fans on them, on top of them. We, we see it with Brentford. Brentford, you know, the, the, playing in Brentford is a real tough place to go because it's so tight. People are on, literally on top of you. Teams have struggled to deal with all that pressure. So that's where I think it's all about 
making sure that you know you get over those games where you know no one's really expecting you to get anything it's more about performance but then making sure that at home you're an absolute fortress and you're playing with a bit of freedom you know everybody's writing you off so i think there's a great great opportunity there to to try and prove doubters wrong look i i i mean when you listen to you guys talking there i mean i'm not so sure kelly luton staying up oh, look again revert back <laughs> to it kenilworth road that has to be their fortress. They have to get things right. I can see where you're going with Fulham. Paulinho's injuries are a real concern for Fulham. Um, yeah. You know, Willian re-signed. There's even talk now that maybe he might not even be there. He might even be going to to Saudi Arabia. That could be a blow because I thought he was actually massive Fulham last season. Um, I'm going to go with Luton, Sheffield United, I think, for Paul Heckingbottom. Still relying on people like McBurney, Norwood, Fleck. Sanderberg is kind of like their mainstays, their 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 experienced players in the Premier League. I just don't know if that's enough. They've had that momentum, they've had the the um that factor of being that fortress. Now I just don't know whether they can do it again. Um, I'm going to throw one in there. I'm probably going to upset Phil here and say Bournemouth are in uh, are possibly in trouble. Um, Ariola obviously as a new manager coming from Rovio Cano, who did an amazing job there, getting them promoted, then finishing 12th and 11th, and not that far off a European place this last season. So that is remarkable. Um, but Premier League, it's a very very different league as we know, and I just. I don't know. I hope he does well. I hope they play some really good football because I do love watching Bournemouth play, certainly down at the Vitality Stadium. It's a great place to go and visit, but I'm not so sure. I think they'll struggle. And one to look out for, um, you, Phil, you mentioned it, Nottingham Forest. There's a lot of talk just come out in the last couple of days about the fact there seems to be some financial issues going on there about mm. players possibly not being paid bonuses, signing on fees, and also agents. So when that starts to happen, there's a bit of a concern that things may go wrong very very quickly and i think also steve cooper had a lot a lot of trust from the owner last season when things were going badly they stuck with him i don't know whether they're going to be as tolerant this season and they're going to expect uh, a lot to turn around really quickly i think they're going to expect them to start really well so that's going to be a really really interesting one so that basically goes nicely onto our next our next uh, topic how will the three promoted sides go i mean we're, we're pretty all pretty much all in agreement that we think that Sheffield United are going to struggle and go down. None of us have mentioned Burnley. Phil, what are you thinking about Burnley? Vincent Company did an amazing job at Burnley last season in the Championship. Can he do it? And obviously, you must think he must be able to do it this season again. Yeah, because I didn't mention uh, them, them, them going down. So um, I think a lot of people feel like the momentum that Burnley gathered in the Championship and the way that they were playing and, and, and will be if not enough to keep them up, but certainly enough for them to make a positive start. Um, you mentioned uh, the signing in, in, in goal, which is an interesting one. I think he's going to be busy, uh, James Trafford, but um, it, could be, uh, it could be an interesting one. Nathan Redmond's going to bring a bit of experience, Premier League experience, which seems a little bit thin on the uh, thin on the ground. But I do think it's exciting, you know, seeing... seeing uh, Vincent Company starting his, his his managerial career, and it was it was so sort of um, I don't know if, if gratifying is the word, but when someone who sort of transitions from being a top top player to to going into management and and immediately starting you know to be successful, like we've seen with you know Mikel Arteta or, or Xavi Alonso, or you know seeing Vincent Company do that was was exciting. Now it's the real test, obviously, but yeah, I think generally speaking, people feel Burnley will stay up, not. Not just because of them, but because of everyone else around them uh, as, as well, and the and the other problems. And there is a big load of teams in the bottom half of the table who will be looking over their shoulder and 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 
probably classifying staying up as being uh, a success. So it's going to be really, really tight. I mean, we've, we've mentioned and we you know, between the three of us, seven or eight, nine teams that are going to be in this uh, relegation battle and it is going to be tight. Um, this is the prediction pod. So I, I just wanted to clarify if Kelly is predicting that that Luton are going to stay up or not for the end of the season so we can we can laugh or give her a good cheer. <laughs> Do you know what? I was going to predict that, but then I predicted it in my head. And then, you know, when you say something out loud and you realise <laughs> that maybe you're going to really be laughed at and that this is going to go viral on Optus Sports Twitter. I don't know if they're going to stay up. I just don't think they're going to finish bottom and be as bad as people expected. So I was going to be bold, but I've just uh, pulled out on that boldness a little bit, I think, because you're right. I just, I just don't think they're I was looking at some of the signings they've made as well, and some of them have been pretty Im- impressive. Really, they've they've signed the players they needed to sign. However, yeah, they're, I mean they've signed the likes of Ryan Giles from Wolves, who was on loan in the Championship last year. Wolves fans wanted to see him given a chance there, so he, there's a potential Premier League player. But then I suppose it's only a potential Premier League player if you know what I mean. He isn't proven at that level. And then they've signed lower league players. They've signed Kabore. Um, from Manchester City on loan. And I think he's meant to be a really exciting fullback. So I'm, I'm excited to see him. But it is there's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes about Luton. And as Mark said, Kenilworth Road is not a nice place to go to. Obviously not for me because I'm a Watford fan. But that will play <laughs> a big part. But it depends on how much they can use that. I just think don't write them off completely. But I'm tying myself in knots here because I'm going back on what I said. <laughs> yeah, you've done about three different loops, I think, uh, Kelly. So, um, All right, they're um, going down, but they're not going to be as bad as people thought. There, there you, go. you go. Yeah. I, look, I, I, I think the beauty of the Premier League, and we've seen it time and time again, is that when you look at teams that get promoted and you think straight away they're going straight back down, um, there's players that they sign that are either championship players or players from abroad that nobody's ever heard of. And then all of a sudden they become Premier League players because of how well they've done that previous season, right? So and I think Fulham's a great example of that. They finally gave the trust in a manager in Marco Silva to make some decisions on players' recruitment, and they got it right. I mean, Paulinho was a great signing. Like from like most of us, certainly in England, didn't know anything about him, and I think he's been a, a phenomenal signing from him. There's talk of him possibly even leaving, but now that he's injured, I, I think he'll be staying, and it's almost like a blessing in disguise for a club like Fulham. I was going to ask you, Kelly, Burnley last season in the Cup got absolutely walloped by Manchester City away from home. And it is Man City. I mentioned before, anybody can get walloped by Manchester City. But none of us have mentioned Burnley in the relegation. So bearing that in mind, is it because of the way they play? Is it the yeah. signings? Um, it's their manager, Mark. It's literally, and I don't think we've, it, it feels quite lazy to say, well, Vincent Company learnt from Pep, Man City captain, won it all. So of course, but it's not just that. He's. We've seen so many top players come into the Premier League and top leagues around Europe and struggle as managers. So Vincent Company could be it, but I have so much admiration for the way his managerial career has gone. He's gone back to Belgium. He's come to the championship to Burnley. That was not an easy job. They had just been taken over. They just ended a long spell in the Premier League under just one manager in Sean Dyche. No one really, some people looked at it and said Burnley will go up, but I think internally everyone thought Burnley were in a bit of disarray, didn't have too much money, were the new owners going to properly invest. He was, yes, he had the benefit of the contacts in Belgium to be able to get some brilliant loanees in, but I'll never forget working, it was probably August last year and it was, it was the first month of the season I was working at Watford versus Burnley doing radio reports and Watford won 1-0, which is remarkable to think that given the way the two sides ended the season. 
And I turned to the local journalist and I said, when this side clicks, they are going to be incredible. The way he had them playing was a completely different brand of football, but it felt like he was already training them then to be a Premier League side. And I thought, even if they don't go up last last season as they did, he's building something here. And I think that's what's so impressive. And after that Manchester City defeat, they still had some really good spells of play. And particularly when it was nil-nil, they really threatened them. And Pep Guardiola was very complimentary. They didn't go away from their way of playing, but they did adapt. They weren't naive. And Vincent Company after said he enjoyed periods of it. But I said, oh, you must feel positive. And he said, no, I don't because I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch that and I'm going to make us better. And he said, I love these challenges. And that's why I think he's going to be relishing it. He's got such a point to prove. And I think that Vincent Company alone is just an incredible weapon for Burnley to have. And I think that's why no one's talking about them in the relegation conversation. What's the first game of the season? Yes, exactly. Well, okay. No, Phil's Phil's being ironic because, of course, Burnley play Man City on Friday night. So it's a it's it's a tough start, isn't it? And if we go on what Phil was saying before, in terms of if you get a hammering early on, maybe we'll all be we'll all be reconsidering that. But I don't even definitely think they'll get a hammering. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? When you look at the likes of um, Burnley, the way they turn things around from under Sean Dyche, everyone thought that, that is this the end of Burnley for some time after losing Sean Dyche, losing that continuity, losing a style of play, a mentality, almost an identity to a new manager coming in and just completely flipping the club on its head and playing a completely different brand of football. And this is where, Phil, I'm going to ask you about Bournemouth uh, and Andoni Ariola from Real Vocano. What do you think he'll change at uh, Bournemouth? What sort of football are we going to see from Bournemouth this season? Or certainly the style of football that he'll try and implement there this season? So it's going to be like rock and roll, not maybe that heavy metal, but it's going to be rock and roll. It's going to be uh, intense. Like I said, they're all about they're all about the volume of getting like lots of balls into the box, um, playing high up the pitch as well. He says like I want to defend with a high line and like far away from our own goal. Like the far, farthest we are away from our goal, the better. I don't know if Bournemouth have the necessarily have the players to uh, to to do that, but that's what he. That's what he wants to do. Um, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. They're going to concede goals, but they're going to score as well. Like I said, it's, it's, it's going to be rock and roll. And you made the point, Premier League is very different to La Liga. It might not work here. Uh, Rio, uh, their stadium is actually quite similar to, to Kenilworth Road in so much as it's very tight. It's very compact. It's only 12,000. Uh, big teams do not like going there. They beat Barcelona there last season. They beat Real Madrid there last season. So if you can try and make the the vitality something of a fortress like that, it's not the same. But uh, to try and have that, that base of, of of home support is going to be is going to be very important. But it is. Um, I was going to say it's a risk from from Bournemouth. It's always a risk when you bring someone in who doesn't have any sort of proven Premier League experience. But a lot of people are very very. Admiring of of Antonio Daula, the the job that he did. I mean, you mentioned what he did with with Rio. They went into the final game of last season with a mathematical chance of of European football for a team with literally no money. I mean, genuinely, they have no money. They do not spend money on players. Their stadium only has three stands. There's no there's no stand at the, behind one of the goals. There's just a block of flats. It's a very small club. He took them to the semi-finals of the cup the previous season. Uh, the, before he went there, he was with a second division team, Mirandes. He took them to the semi-finals of the cup as well. Like he has done 
really quite impressive things in a, in a short amount of time. He's only 41 as well, Antonio Raula. So he's a, he's a young manager with very clear ideas. And it's going to be, like I said, high intensity, high volume. Uh, he's very, very analytical as well, very involved in the training sessions. And I think it's going to be fun for Bournemouth fans. <laughs> like, fun isn't necessarily what you need in a relegation battle, but I think I think Bournemouth fans are going to... Are going to um, and they're going to go to the stadium and come away thinking, you know what, we gave this a good go. We, even if they win or lose, they're, they're going to see a team that, 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 that give it a good go. And that may or may not be enough to keep them up. But like I said, it, it sh- they should be entertained. I think it's interesting on Bournemouth. I really I really like Gary O'Neill. I think what he did last season was incredible keeping them up, especially when you look at that heavy defeat at Anfield and the way he kept them up. They had a really tough start to the season. And he's very, very hard done by. I think the players really liked him. But I feel like, I quite like that the Bournemouth owners, I think they had a clear idea when they came in. Obviously, Gary O'Neill was interim basis and the ownership took over and then he kept the job, which is pretty unusual. But I remember around then there were reports surfacing that they were interested in Deserby, but then Brighton got him when Graham Potter left. So it's clear that these Bournemouth owners have come in and they want to do something a little bit different. And I kind of admire that. They could play it safe, but they want to create an identity. They want to create a new era for the club, it feels like, because I feel like they've struggled for that since Eddie Howe's left. So hearing you talk about it, Phil, I used to work for Bournemouth at the start of my career and my other half supports them and have a lot of friends down there. So I'm quite excited to see Bournemouth this season. And that's why I'm Mark short. So I'm not happy with your prediction of them going down. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kelly. I'm still sticking with it. I, I mean, <laughs> Phil hasn't convinced me yet. No, no, look, I'm excited to see them play as well. I'm worried about personnel, but then you did kind of make me wonder again because he's used to working with no money and he's hands-on. And I love to hear that from a manager because that's that's like what I want from managers. And you'd be surprised how many managers actually aren't hands-on and don't really get on the training pitch and don't really know how to coach properly. So yeah, anyway, on to the another, next thing, goal scorer. Are we going to, are we all in agreement that it's going to be Erling Harling's going to be leading goal scorer at the end of the season? Yes. End of chat. Phil? Yes. All right. Let's move it on to... Mark, actually, I'll caveat. Let me, yeah, let me caveat that with one thing. And this is the, a big caveat. If Harry Kane stays at Spurs, if, I think he could run him a lot closer this season because of the style of football they're going to play under Ange Postacoglu. And also, I'm really excited. We talked about new players earlier and I didn't mention James Madison because he doesn't feel like a new player because we know so much about him playing for Leicester already in the Premier League and myself watching a lot of England. But I I think that Madison in that team would provide him with so many goals. I'm just having to caveat that with a huge if because I think by the time this podcast is out, for example, Harry Kane might not even be a Spurs player. But I I don't think we can discount him if if he does stay. And I think it'd be even better this year, which is quite scary. So he's your second best. Phil, who are you going with? Yeah, I would uh, second everything that uh, Kelly has said, and you know, as a uh, <clears throat> as a uh, as a Spurs fan, I uh, very much hope that at the time the podcast is out, because uh, we're recording a few days before the start of the season, I do I do very much hope that he is there. But the feeling is that he is edging towards a 
a potential exit, uh, but yeah, um, if he if he's there, and you know, for him him scoring thirty goals, thirty league goals last season in a team that really sort of fell apart in the last few months of the campaign, he just kept going and kept scoring, and it was really a, a remarkable effort. And I know, okay, he's not on any individual, he's not on any trophies, and all right, thirty league goals isn't a trophy or anything, but it was really really uh, impressive. So uh, yeah, as, as as Kelly said, the setup for him should be should be ideal whether or not he's going to be there to to enjoy it remains to be seen. I think because of all the circus that happened at Spurs last season, we kind of forget how many goals that Harry Kane actually scored. And people almost feel, I get a feeling like it's like he actually didn't have that good a season last season, which is crazy when he scored that many goals. I also think you guys didn't mention Mo Salah nor Marcus Rashford. I think they'll be close there or thereabouts again just because I think Man United have become stronger, Liverpool have become stronger, so that'll be really, really interesting. Let's move on. First manager on the chopping block. There's a few. I've got a list of a couple, actually, um, for various reasons, but I'd love to hear what you guys think. Kelly, go on. I want you to go first again because I'd love to hear you squirm Oh, that's really kind of you. Thank you. You asked me for the relegated teams first, and now you're asking me for the sacked manager. Thank you. I'm really grateful for you doing that, asking the person (laughs) that has to interview these managers most as well. Um... I nearly mentioned this team earlier in the podcast, and this is a team I've previously worked for as well, so I have a bit of affection for. Um, I'm surprised we didn't talk about West Ham, only because I don't think they'll go down, but obviously last season they had a difficult season in the Premier League, but they're not going to remember that because they won a European trophy and it was incredible and I'm so, so happy for them. But since then, they've sold Declan Rice, which we were expecting for months, they were expecting for months. So it felt like... It was quite well handled, that transfer. I don't know if you feel like that, but it was like, it felt like everyone had been respectful. They planned for it. They knew it was going to happen. However, since then, I think it's 50 days at the time of recording since they made the only signing of the summer. That 17-year-old Sean Moore from Cliftonville. I don't know a great deal about that player. He might be a world beater, but I think the expectation from West Ham fans was that money was going to be reinvested to build a team. And let's be honest, Declan Rice has been head and shoulders, the best player in that team for some time. They've got a brilliant array of other talents. Now I'm a big, big fan of Jared Bowen, for example. But right now I just feel the mood around West Ham isn't the best. And if they don't do some business by the end of August, we saw it last season as well. How many times did David Moyes come under pressure last season and we thought he was going to be the next one sacked and fair play for them not sacking him because they stayed up and they won a European trophy. The board got it right. But I just worry when those West Ham fans turn, if they turn, even if they don't think it's Moyes' fault for the lack of signings, potentially we could see Moyes sacked. I don't want him to be because I think he's done a brilliant job there, but he's going to be the first name I'm going to put in the ring. I've got him first on the list for all those reasons that you mentioned right there as well. Absolutely. I'm worried about David Moyes. And it's kind of almost like you wonder whether he should have walked after last season because yeah. it was phenomenal what he did. Um, massive respect for him. Phil, would it be harsh, Mark? If the, if they don't give him much time, do you feel it would be harsh? Um, I, I actually don't think they will sack him. I, I think it's most likely that he'll walk before they sack him. I, I personally oh, believe that. I, I, I just think that he'll just go, you know what? lack of transfer activity. I don't know. I just get that feeling like last season, even last season were moments. I think what kept him from walking last season was the fact they're having such an amazing run in Europe and the the, the yeah. belief that maybe they could go on and do something, which they obviously did, which was phenomenal. And it was fantastic to see him do do uh, do so well and, and win, win, a, win a European trophy. Phil, it'll be interesting to hear what your, your take on all this is. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe that they didn't sack David Moyes last season just because it felt on so many occasions that it was so close to happening, that it was almost inevitable that it was going to happen. And then it didn't, um, which I guess in a way is, is, is quite quite refreshing. And then he was vindicated with the, with the European uh, trophy at the end of the season. But yeah, a second what both of you guys are saying, uh, he, uh, he could be. And you, you're probably right, Mark, you know, with him, with him having perhaps built up enough, um, if not goodwill, but maybe, you know, uh, enough having enough in the bank to maybe not be sacked immediately. And then he might feel that it's time for him to walk. So I had um, Steve Cooper down potentially, as we mentioned, with Nottingham Forest having, uh, they stuck by him last season, but <laughs> but uh, the uh, transfer window this, this summer hasn't been the greatest. And then I mentioned earlier in the podcast, their opening run of fixtures. And I told you who they've got uh, away from home, the first four games, Arsenal, Man City, United and, and Chelsea, which is a very difficult run away from home, particularly for a team that only won once away from home last season. At home, I think they've got the three newly promoted teams, but last season, I think they lost at home to uh, two of the newly promoted teams. So if you're going on the, the kind of points tally that they picked up last season, uh, they could be have very, very few points after seven or eight games, and that might be enough to induce... Um, uh, Marinakis, the uh, the owner, to uh, finally get rid of uh, of Steve Cooper. So I would put him um, potentially quite high up on the list as well. There's a lot of pressure on on Sean Dyche at Everton as well, just because Everton are such a massive team and like they had such a catastrophic season last season that it's I'm, I'm you know I don't I don't think they you know they've, they've got to be better than they were last season. But if they're not, if somehow they're they they're not, if somehow they take a step backwards, then they know. I don't, I don't think he's going to be the first manager to be sacked. But I would just say that looking at uh, pressure versus you know expectations and pressure, and there is massive massive pressure on on Everton to uh, uh, to improve. So I would just keep an eye on 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 them as well. What's interesting is I think the first manager possibly to leave. Neither of you have mentioned them. Is Julian Lopetegui. There's a lack of transfer activity for Wolves. There's a frustration. There is some talk in the press that he actually may walk out of the club because of obviously lack of clarity and probably obviously not living up to what was promised him in the first place. So that would be a massive loss because I think he's a really good manager. I think he did really, really well at Wolves last season as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be an interesting one. Um, let's go on to uh, who will be in the top four come the end of the season. Um, I think it's kind of predictable possibly, unless someone throws a, a wobbly in who's going to win it? Go on, Phil. I mean, we've got, we've got, the, we've got the rundown of the podcast and we've got you know, our wild predictions and, and the producer said the, the wilder the better. Um, can, can we do one of those now? Is that, is, that, is that all right? Can we throw one of them in? I mean... Go for it. Okay. Is it, it's, not, it's not wild to suggest that Chelsea get top four, is it? Is, 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 that, is that ridiculous to suggest? Put it this I mean, way, it Phil, be... I've got that in my top four as well okay. and I thought it was right, wild, good. but clearly it's not okay. if I'm on the same way. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not wild. Okay, It's wild to jump from 12th to 4th uh, on paper. That would be that would be wild. But I think they don't have any European football. And I think it's, you know, it's and they do have a serious squad of players and a serious Premier League manager in Mauricio Pochettino. And last season was... So wild, so up and down, so unstable uh, for Chelsea that um, bringing someone in like Pochettino to to um, steady the boat is uh, is is a it was imperative to have someone like him for uh, for Chelsea. The signings we've touched upon that they've made have been have been interesting and are going to improve the team. And it's where they should 
be. They should be in the top four. So yeah, okay, it's not it's not wild to suggest that they should be in the top four. Maybe it's wilder to suggest that Aston Villa will be battling for top four. I don't think they're going to get top four, Villa, but I think it, my wild prediction is for them with maybe five or six games to go to maybe be a couple of wins away from from the top four because I'm a massive fan of Unai Emery. I think they've strengthened really well in the in the transfer window. That spine looks solid. All right, they might be a little bit reliant on, on Ollie Watkins up front, but they've, they've, they've got a serious team there. They've got a manager who has had plenty of uh, success all over Europe. He is quite intense. He does drain his players. He does tend to last only sort of two or three years. But he's a, he's, a, he's a top coach, and I think Villa could be there. I mean, them getting seventh last season was 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 a, a achievement. I'm backing them to take a step further, so not to get into the top four, but to not be a million miles away. Okay, that's sitting on the fence a little bit, but you know, I, I reckon it's fairly bold. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, when I when I th- when I look at the top four, that's um, for this season. Obviously, Man City for me just sort of kind of like fits in and it's an obvious one to me. The, I, I think the change is going to be, I think Liverpool's going to finish in that top four again this season. I think Arsenal will potentially miss out. I still think it'll be the same. I think Man City, Liverpool, Man United and Newcastle will finish in that top four. What particular order? I'm, you know, We'll get on to that next one about being Premier League champions. I still think Chelsea have got a lot to do. I, I really do. I think they've started well pre-season. They looked pretty decent. They've looked pretty decent in attack. And Kunku is a real worry. Hopefully it's not the same knee injured before the World Cup. Hopefully it's not too bad. If he's fit, then I'm more inclined to think that Chelsea will be knocking on the door for Champions League positions because I think he's that important to them. And I agree with you what you're saying there, Phil. I think Villa. Villa are certainly an outside shout of knocking on the door for, for top four. Kelly, what are you thinking? Do you know what? I'm a bit more excited by Chelsea than you guys clearly are, particularly you, Mark, because I also think I quite like their options in defence. If Rhys James can stay fit, Ben Chilwell as well. I think it's been really interesting seeing Rhys James wear the armband a couple of times in pre-season. I think Richo Pochettino walking in and seeing Chilwell and James as his fullbacks will literally be licking his lips with the way he wants to play. Um, and I really like, I'm really excited. And I wanted to mention him earlier and I forgot to mention Colwell because he's been really impressive and he was really good. Um, I was watching back some of their game against Borussia Dortmund and reading about his partnership with Thiago Silva and what, he's 20 years old, I think. And there was so much talk, wasn't there? Because we know Chelsea have these players that come through the academy that don't always get given the chance. And he has signed a new contract and Pochettino's put him in. And as it stands, it looks like him and Silva could start together in the opener against Liverpool. I know he's young, but what is it they say that... If you're good enough, it doesn't matter what your age you are. And I just feel like for him, learning alongside Thiago Silva makes Chelsea's defence, which was so porous on so many occasions last season, look really interesting. So maybe I'm going ahead of myself, but I've actually gone City-Chelsea. And I'm almost going to say this is my bold prediction now to say Chelsea are coming second. Arsenal and Manchester United. But if Manchester United do sort out their striker situation then I might revisit that. But as it stands, yeah, I, I like Chelsea and I, I don't know why because I have no affiliation to them. <laughs> so it's not biased. I've just maybe seen stuff from pre- them in pre-season that I've liked. I also think everyone loves Mauricio Pochettino and it's great to see him back in the Premier League. Did an incredible job at Spurs. I think everybody probably, you know, I think most people probably felt a little bit sorry for him that he got the sack at Spurs uh, when he did. Mark, is no one going to say that Ange's going to take Spurs to the Champions League? I thought you as an Aussie would say him. Not yet. They need a little bit of time. There's obviously a little bit of a problem with um, 
with uh, uh, with obviously their striker, whether Harry Kane actually <laughs> stays at the club or not. Yes. We'll get onto that very very shortly. But let's just go quickly, guys. Champion, who's going to win? The, who's going to win the, the the Premier League? Who are the who's the champion come the end of the season? This is as simple as the conversation about Haaland, no? I know, I know. Is that that simple though? Are we just going to go and say all predictable? They might make it interesting again, like they did last season, and maybe give others a run for their money. Maybe Arsenal. Well, I don't know if it'll be Arsenal, but maybe they'll let another team in for a bit. But for me, they've just still got the squad. Even when they've lost players this summer, they've still got the squad to compete. The depth, it's the depth for them, I think, that that is so impressive. Even losing Mares, Gundogan, the likes of those incredible players. If any other Premier League side lost them, you'd be worried. But for me, they're still head and shoulders above and they know how to win things. I also think um, Man City on the verge looks like signing um, Guardiola from from RB Leipzig, the big centre of half who plays for Croatia. I think he's a phenomenal player as well. So that that will just bolster all that again uh, for Manchester City. Uh, Phil, are you going with Man City as well? Are you being predictable? <laughs> yeah, I am. I mean, listen, we're recording the podcast before the uh, before the Community Shield, uh, which you know w- will be interesting to see Manchester City against against Arsenal and to get a, a good look at these at these two. Um, last season, I think Liverpool beat Man City, didn't they? And we all thought that uh, in the Community Shield, and we thought, oh, you know, Liverpool could be could be the side, and Darwin Nunez is going to be much better than Haaland and all that. And maybe we read a little bit too much into it to the Community Shield, but yeah, I just think Manchester City as a as a unit, they're, they're a unit. And I was covering the the Champions League semi final with Real Madrid last season. I was looking through the starting eleven, sort of pound for pound, up against Real Madrid. And I didn't see a massive disparity between the two starting 11s. But then when you see how Guardiola has them playing as a, as a unit, as a team, as a sort of a free-flowing, understanding machine, then they're very, very difficult to, to come close to. And Arsenal did come kind of close last season. And Arsenal are stronger on paper than they were last season. And they made some very interesting signings. But I still think it's... You know, almost impossible to look past Manchester City for um, for the for the title, isn't it? I agree, and I agree what you're saying about the the uh, Community Shield last season because I actually did. I, I may have said that Darwin Nunes would outscore <laughs> Harlan this season, uh, last season. Oh. I may have said that. I'm not going to uh, confirm nor deny it, but I may have said it anyway. Uh, let's move on quickly from that one. The wilder <laughs> and the better. Let's predict your wild prediction. Come on, has to be something outrageous. I mean, you guys alluded to it. I mean, I think, Kelly, you maybe said something about Chelsea finishing in top four. Is that that wild? Well, I think I firstly said that Luton were potentially going to stay up and then I backed down. You did actually, yeah. And then I said Chelsea were going to finish second. I think by the end of that point that I'd made, I then decided that maybe if Manchester United sign a striker, as it looks like they will, then maybe that won't happen. So I think both of my bold predictions I've gone back on um so yeah I'm not sure I'm so great at this I don't think I've got any other bold predictions in me that's about as bold as I'm going to get so hopefully Phil's going to rescue this section um yeah I'm just going to go back to my I mean I can be really bold if you like I'll say Villa Villa will get Champions League football um I mean that's I don't necessarily believe it but if if you want if you want a really bold prediction like I said I think they'll be there or thereabouts and they will improve on seventh uh so that's my that's my uh bold prediction I, I was thinking that as well, you know. I was going to go along that lines of saying uh, Aston Villa finishing the top four, but I thought, no, I can't be that outrageously uh, <laughs> wild in my prediction. So I'm going to go with Burnley finishing the top half of the table. I think that's pretty wild. Uh, not as wild as uh, Villa finishing that top four. <laughs> close. 
Let's move on to uh, Tottenham Hotspurs, of course. Ange Postacoglu, there's no surprise, will be following this story very, very closely throughout the course of the whole season. Um, obviously, it's been massive hurdles for Ange to, to try and uh, get over before the season even starts. We're talking about Harry Kane as recording of this podcast. Still a lot of uncertainty about where he may end up or, or what he's going to do. Um, let's hope for Spurs and, and for, for Ange Postacoglu, he stays. But I'm kind of excited about seeing him play in... Uh, at Bayern Munich, where he's going to actually win a lot of trophies, let's be honest. Um, so, look, it's going to be testing Ange. You know, he needs to get things right. He needs to get people on board really, really quickly. Um, and uh, and how do you think he will cope with all this disruption and and, and certainly the uncertainty around Harry Kane? Will he, He'll be obviously desperate for things to be settled very, very quickly, won't he, Phil? Yeah, he will. I mean... I just think it's a shame that this appointment has come has come at a time when the spirits in the fan base are so low because Andrew's personality and his style of football is pretty much exactly what Spurs need. But the fans are so massively disillusioned with the board. Um, the, the owner's got off the field issues as well. Harry Kane is a really enormous uh, problem. Uh, whether he stays or goes, he's one of the best players in the history of the football club. Uh, the transfer window for Spurs, I think, has been underwhelming so far from a from a fan's uh, perspective. It's a family show, so I won't use any other word. But from a fan's perspective, let's go with underwhelming. <laughs> and at the moment, I would say that Ange is almost the only ray of light at Spurs at the moment. And I'm talking to you from a Spurs fan perspective. So we've, we've, we've got him in. I think people are excited about what he can bring and, and what he wants to do at the club. But people are also cautious as to whether or not he's going to be able to. Yeah, I I'm I agree. I mean, I th- look, I think I think Andrew's a great point. And I think arguably one would say that his only reason he got a chance was because of the way things have gone at Spurs. And um, I personally believe he deserves to be there. I think he's a really, really good manager. And I think a lot of Spurs fans initially had doubt, but there's a lot, a lot of people on board with um, with the appointment and are quite excited to see how they how this all unfolds. Big question for me, though, still is Hugo Lloris. Does he stay at the club? Doesn't look like he will be. I don't think the new signing is good enough at this moment in time from what I've seen preseason. That's really early and possibly harsh. I still think they need to, to get in a, a, a top-class goalkeeper um, if Hugo Lloris moves on, and I think that just seems inevitable. Um, so, Kelly, what are you thinking about the first and foremost about the appointment of Ange? And are you kind of hopeful that he can get things right really quickly there? My, from a broadcaster's perspective, firstly, I've watched him from afar for a long time and thought, wow, he looks tough to interview, but also great fun to interview. And I've really enjoyed the way he's batted off some of the Harry Kane comments in preseason. So, where he's been asked about it every couple of days and he's been like yeah you're right mate it's exactly the same as it was two days ago and it's just like it's just refreshing to hear that honesty and I I just think he'll keep everyone on their toes um so from that point of view I'm really looking forward to it I hope he's as refreshing on the pitch having spent some time out in Australia this summer I've got a bit of an Aussie bias now as well so I would love to see him do well because I think it will like when, when you were here, Mark, as well, there was so few Australians in the Premier League. So to have an Australian manager here and to show that football is taken seriously out here, as I can see it, it is now. There's such passion for it out here. Um, so I just think it would be brilliant for Australian football, soccer, whatever you want to say. Um, depending on who I talk to, I get told off if I call it football sometimes. I'm about to say, do not call it soccer. Whatever you do, come on, we're football Good. I agree. My cousin, I've, I'm, a, I'm with my cousin today. It's a World Cup rest day and um, she keeps calling it soccer and I correct her and she corrects me. So I'm never sure where I stand. Um, but no, I just think I, I really hope it works 
the Harry Kane thing. That's the problem for him, isn't it? I want, if it was done ages ago, he'd have known. Maybe he knew when he was, maybe Daniel Levy's already told him he's going and he's planned for life without him. But yeah, it makes it tough. Um, yeah, Champions League's a bit far off, but I, th- I think I think Spurs fans would just take a season of better football, of slow progress to build towards something because they've just been up and down for so long and it's been like the hope that kills you and just have some feel-good factor around the stadium again would would be nice. I've got a lot of family that are Spurs fans as well, so I, I just hope they get back to playing some good entertaining football and build something for a few seasons' time maybe. Giving him time, I think, is the key. We've seen wherever he's been, whether it was at uh, Yokohama, whether when he went to Celtic, those first six, seven, eight games are the ones that generally a bit of a slow starter, but then it gets into it and then he hits momentum. So hopefully Spurs fans stay with him. The club stay with him. They trust him and give him that time he deserves. And obviously the Harry Kane saga. So one way or the other needs to be sorted quickly as possible. Um, there's been obviously a lot talked about with the Saudi league, the emergence of the league, the money that's being thrown around. We've seen Kante, Benzema, Henderson, Nevers amongst them um, going off to to Saudi Arabia. How impactful do you think this could be on European clubs, given that the deadline in the Saudi pro league is almost three weeks longer than Europe? It must be like a nightmare for some of the big clubs or any of the clubs, um, certainly in the Premier League, worrying about will players be so tempted and their heads turned will it be almost impossible to keep them, Phil? Um, yeah, it's clearly a problem. And uh, Jürgen Klopp was talking about it a couple of days ago, wasn't he, saying this this is a massive issue that, the, that their transfer window finishes nearly three weeks uh, later and it, something needs to be done about this. Um, I would like to think that if a player is going to go to Saudi, they wouldn't do it after the Premier League transfer window or the European transfer window has, has, has closed which they should be able to get it done before before that happens. And I would hesitate to think, I, would, no, I don't think it's going to be a, a massive issue with, with that. I don't think there's going to be too many players leaving the Premier League or La Liga or European, uh, big players, players that are fundamental to their team leaving to go to the Saudi League after the transfer window is closed in Europe. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a problem, but on paper, it could be problematic. But in theory, I would assume that most of the most of the deals would get done before that. I mean, if, if, if that's one of the issues, obviously this has been a big thing in Europe, people getting uh, outraged at the money being spent by um, by the Saudi League, and particularly in England, because certainly in, in Spain, I think people are just a little bit dismissive of it. Okay, yeah, they came and they signed Benzema, but you know he's only going there for the money, whatever. It's not a serious thing. People have been dismissive of it. And then the signings have kept coming and kept coming and big players keep going there and there is momentum building in terms of what, what, what project is being created in, in Saudi Arabia. So in Spain at the moment, people are a little bit dismissive thinking, oh, this is nothing. This is going to be like China. This is going to be like MLS. It's, it's, it's not a serious league. I think in England, people are more wary and more aware of a potential threat posed by, um, by the project, for one of a better word, that is being constructed out there. Yeah, I think one of the issues, I think when you look at the, the signing, like Kante was kind of, one would argue, potentially at the back end of his career, had a lot of a lot of injuries over the last couple of seasons. Big loss, because I'm a massive fan of him. I think he's a phenomenal player, but I, I think he was always going to move on from Chelsea. Anyway, Henderson, look, again, how many more seasons would he be able to play at the level? Was he Is he also at the back end of his season? The one that I suppose concerns some people is Neves. Neves going, still very young, 26 years old, and that, that was a big one. But look, the money's going to be there. And, and, and like you're saying there, Phil, I think you're a bit romantic in that regard because I think that 
when clubs come knocking and they're offering the type of money that they're offering in Saudi Arabia, it's very, very difficult for anybody to turn it down. But anyway, let's have to watch this space. We'll move on. Just quickly, young Aussies in the Premier League. There's only two at the moment. Cameron Pepignon is 20 years old. He's got one league appearance under his belt so far uh, at Brighton. He's had two sub-appearances in preseason. So he's someone that may um, play a part. Um, in the season to come. I mean, how much? We're not really quite sure, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Alex Robertson at Manchester City hasn't been involved in preseason at all. So he sits really on the fringe at Manchester City. I would think he'd probably end up being out on loan next season. Um, and that's going to be uh, one to watch. And I think that's probably for his development really, really good because he's obviously been involved with the national team and did very well coming on for the Socceroos um, in their recent friendly. So that that's pretty cool. So next up, we're going to talk about Fantasy Premier League. Um, look, I have no idea about this because I've heard all about it. I've never played it. I've seen people talk about it. Kelly, you're the resident Fantasy Football League expert. Um, you're going to be each week on Optus Sport talking about the must-buys. Um, you've got to explain to us, what's the best way to structure a side to start the season? As in, you're talking to two people here, Phil and I, who have never, ever played Fantasy Premier League football. I'm told that producer Elliot tried to give you a little crash course in it. How did that go, by the way? It was okay. I mean, there was there was <laughs> Elliot and also our cameraman Sam coming from both angles. So it was really tough. I had to take in a lot of information in a very short period of time. I think I've got the gist <laughs> of it, but certainly I think I'd like to have it repeated to me and I'm sure Phil would love to hear about okay. it as well. So come on, give us your best pitch for Fantasy Premier League. Well, we've just talked about Erling Haaland. He's very expensive in the game. He's one of the few players in the game's history to be priced at 14 million this season. That's because he had such a remarkable season last year. So the beauty of it, Mark, is you watch a lot of football. You know who the good players are. Even you would know to put Erling Haaland in your team, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah you, you might have heard of him. You might have seen him. He, he tends to score, you know. Put him in first. So the way I always say it, and we, we talk about it on the um, Fantasy Premier League podcast as well, put your premiums in first. They're your high-priced players. They're your Haaland's, your Mo Salah's, your Kevin De Bruyne's, whichever players you want of those, and then build your team around it. This year, the way the pricing has worked, FPL have been quite clever because sometimes you have your premiums and then you have obvious picks at a certain price and then you get priced out of others. But they've made lots of other midfielders very interesting price points. So you've got, you get 100 million at the start of the season. You build your squad. So we laugh and we say, you've actually only got 86 million because really you have to have Haaland in because everyone captains him. He's just too good. Then it's a case of you have to pick th your rest of your forwards, midfielders, defence and a couple of goalkeepers. This year with the midfielders, there's some really interesting and some really different teams going around. So some people are at the moment saying, well, maybe you don't want Harry Kane because he's going to go. Madison is priced at 7.5 million, which for a midfielder, is quite a nice price. So, I mean, I've gone for Madison. I've got Bruno Fernandes in at the moment because he's priced in that kind of mid-price range. I think he's 8.5 off the top of my head. He's 0.5 cheaper than Marcus Rashford. So you have to decide who you want. You have to look at the players that are going to get you goals and assists. So it's not always the players that you think, oh, they're a good player. Like they pass the eye test. They have to get you goals and assists if they're forwards or midfielders. And if they're defenders, you want them to be getting clean sheets. And also your wingbacks are often popular. Your ones that are going to pop up with goals. So that's kind of the basics of it. And for your keepers, Mark, which is your domain very much, you obviously want the ones that are going to keep clean sheets, but you also want ones that are likely to make saves as well because they get points for those. 
what what works more keeping clean sheets what's worth more to you keeping clean sheets or or say like you don't keep a clean sheet but you've made a lot of saves in a game what kind of like how does it sort of weigh up what's the better option we get a set number of points for a clean sheet so if you keep a player's 90 and keeps a clean sheet they get six points then so what you really want is a a goalkeeper that's going to be busy, so a, a mid-table kind of team that will get you clean sheets every so often, but the save points, I think it's, I can't remember exactly, but you get like a point for every three saves made. So you almost don't want a defence that's too good. You want one that occasionally makes the keeper make saves. So like Aaron Ramsdale, for example, though Arsenal didn't really keep that many clean sheets, he often gets a lot of save points because his def- their defence allowed them to make a lot of saves. So at the moment, my goalkeeper for the season is Anana at Manchester United because he's priced really nicely at five million, which is kind of a mid-priced goalkeeper. And I wanted to be able to get Manchester United clean sheet points. So that's the way I've done it. So if you've got Haaland up front, you said you've got it. There's a, there's a, there's a no bargain sort of, you've got no choice. You have to play Haaland. He's going to be your captain. How do you find someone to play alongside him who do you pick then to compliment him well I had Gabriel Jesus but he's now had this small procedure that Mikel Arteta has said about so I'm having to now decide I might go for a Darwin Nunes they're all priced so because you've spent 14 million on Erling Haaland it then depends what your strategy is where do you want to put the money in your rest of your team do you want to go have another high price forward so we do the FPL podcast with Julian Leron French football expert he's gone for Harry Kane as it stands and he said if Kane stays he'll keep Kane but Kane's priced I think at 12.5 million so then you lose using loads of your budget on your forward line so at the moment I've got Jesus I need to get rid of him and then I've gone for Joao Pedro because I love him and because he's cheap at 5.5 so you have to be clever where you put your money because obviously, if you put all your money in your forward line, you're then going to have rubbish midfielders and rubbish defenders. So it's about spreading the budget out. So it's got to be hard, right? Because you're kind of like looking at picking a player because you really like them or you're following a team or whatever it is. You just like watching them play. But it really is. It's just stats driven mostly, isn't it? Like picking up yeah. the players' stats from even the previous scenes and, and how they're going to play or how you're trying to predict them to play this season. Yeah, it's even looking at things like XG and expected assists even as well and looking at the position that they play on the pitch and also things like penalty takers and set piece takers are really appealing because obviously they're going to have more chance of scoring so yeah often penalty takers and that's why for example I've got Bruno Fernandes in my team at the moment because as it stands we would expect him to be Manchester United's penalty taker but the situation at City was interesting and that's why a couple of years ago a lot of FPL managers you might have seen it were begging for Edison to be given an opportunity to take a penalty. And that's why also FPL managers get even more excited when goalkeepers get assists, which I think we saw. Who did we see? Which goalkeeper got an assist last season? I want to say Sanchez. I think it might have been Sanchez at Brighton. I can't remember. But yeah, that kind of thing's really exciting when your goalkeepers get assists because obviously you don't bring your goalkeeper in with that in mind. Hang on, Phil, are you still awake? I'm just not sure whether or not you've like you've zoned out. Have you gone and got a coffee? Are you there? I'm here. I'm listening intently. And okay, cards on the table. I have played FPL pre like fantasy Premier League previously. But what I've always done is not paid too much attention. Made a little team, and then after a couple of weeks, just lost interest, um, which has happened like consistently. So it happens. It happens. You know. Um, but I've got the tips now from. 
uh, from Kelly and I'm going to need to take it a little bit more seriously. I need to be stats driven. I need to be focused and not lose interest. So when, when my team doesn't pick up any points in the first two weeks. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go and give it my all <laughs> this season and not let it drop off after two weeks. So, so bearing that in mind, uh, Kelly, what Phil was talking about there about dropping off after a couple of weeks, because that, that actually happens quite a lot in, fan, in, in, in FPL, right? So what do you say to those people? What, how would you try and convince those people to stay involved? There are 38 game weeks in a season. You can have the world's worst start, but there's always another game week that you can make up the points. The swings are so big. Also, you get chips. So you get a wild card for the first half of the season and a wild card for the second half of the season. So if you start and after three or four weeks, you're like, oh my gosh, I've gone for all the wrong players. I went bold and didn't go for Haaland. I've gone Trent Alexander-Arnold, who by the way has been priced 8 million for a defender this year, which is really expensive. I've not gone for Trent and he's getting assists. He's playing in midfield. He's getting assists each week. I need them. You can play your wild card and you can completely change your team and it doesn't cost you any transfers. So there are ways that you can rescue things. You also get other chips throughout the season that can give you real lift. So even if you feel like you're behind, you can use your triple captain. Your captain each week gets double the number of points. So that's why everyone captains Erling Haaland because he's most likely to score. If you put your triple captain on him, you get three lots of those points. And also there's double game weeks where if you use your chips carefully, if you get loads of players that are playing twice you can make up all of those points. So even if you feel like you're really far behind, even in those early stages, there's so many opportunities to make the points back up that don't give up too soon is my biggest advice. All right. So if I'm going to start up my um, my FPL team, what's the one singular bit of advice you're going to give me? Pick Erling Haaland. <laughs> no, <laughs> aside from that, look at, I, I, there's not really one piece of advice. I would say, when you're picking your players, when you're looking at your forwards, the things you're going to get points for are your goals, your assists. There's also bonus points. So look at the bonus point system. I don't have the, we'd be here a long time if I told you all the reason that they get bonus points, but it's things, it's doing positive things in within the game. So like defenders get bonus points for blocks and tackles and stuff as well. So just when you're picking your players, don't just pick them because you think, oh, I quite like them. For example, defensive midfielders, wonderful players, nothing against them, but they are no use to us in fantasy. So pick your premiums first. So your more expensive players, build outwards from there. Bear in mind that every week you're going to have three players on the bench. So you don't have to have starters. For example, I've got Kabore from Luton as my third substitute. I don't know how many clean sheets Luton are going to keep, despite saying they're going to stay up. Um, so he likely won't play very often, but he's cheap, but he can stay on my bench. So you only need 11 players each week. So there's lots of things to think about. So one piece of advice would be impossible. I tell you what, Mark, if you're going to set your team up, just WhatsApp me. That's the bit of advice I should give you. I can <laughs> I've also been told, and I did listen to this bit, because this is one bit that's stuck in my mind. The minute you mentioned substitutes is that it, the order in which you place your substitutes is also important, right? Yes. So for example, obviously you don't always know if a player is going to be injured. The team sheet comes out and you've got Phil Foden. Manchester City are a good example because of what we call in the FPL community Pep Roulette. You never quite know who Pep's going to play because of that squad depth that we spoke about. If you've got Phil Foden and he doesn't start, then your first substitute will come on. So you order them in the right order. Also, bear in mind, if it's a player that comes on for the last 10 minutes, you will then only get their point if you start them. So that's the problem with Man City players in particular. 
Or if it's a player that does always come on at the end, don't put them in your starting 11 or don't put them as your first sub because you don't want them to come on and just get one point. Because also players get an additional point once they play over 60 minutes. So there's nothing worse. We all laugh as well and tear our hair out as FPL managers when players get taken off on 59 minutes because they then won't get their clean sheet points. The other good thing that happens though is when a manager after 60 minutes, so if a manager takes off Reese James on 85 minutes, you bank his clean sheet points and then Chelsea concede. That's quite, that's always one of those little FPL wins. Brilliant. Um, Phil, I'm going to do it. Phil, are you going to join? Definitely. I liked it as well, that philosophical aspect to it. You know, FPL is like life. There's always another game week. So, you know, even if you, you fall down, you pick yourself back up, there's another game week, you keep going. So, uh, yeah, you've inspired me. I'm going to do it. Good. Yeah, I'm joining that. Right. So it's likely I've been told we're going to be kicking off an Optus Sport League 2. So keep an eye out on all the socials on how to join in the next week or so. Um, so I'll definitely be joining that. And Kelly, that's that's you today. You've joined us for the vast majority of the program. It's been great to have your insight and your certainly your knowledge on FPL. I've learned a lot. And I hope <laughs> Phil has because um, we had absolutely zero idea beforehand. So thank you very much and hope to see you again very, very soon. Thanks for having me and best of luck with those teams. And by the next time I speak to you both, if you tell me you've already thrown the towel in with FPL, I'm going to be very disappointed. I'm going to be checking in, all right? <laughs> we'll do our best, absolutely. And after that, we're going to go to a break now. And after that, we'll be coming back and talking all about La Liga and previewing the season ahead. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Liga preview time. And of course, I've got Phil Kitromelides with me. Let's talk about La Liga. It's back on August the 12th. Tell me about all the big stories that's coming off out of the off-season in Spain. There are maybe not quite as many big stories in Spain as there are in the Premier League in terms of transfers, because the transfer market has been uh, a little bit more subdued, shall we say, in Spain. I mean, considerably more subdued. There's been much more action in, in, in Serie A and, and, and the Premier League. But still, despite there not being loads of money being spent, there's still uh, lots of stories and it's still a fascinating league. So, you know, don't, don't, don't think that just because huge amounts of money aren't being spent, it isn't worth watching. Uh, huge amounts of money have been spent by Real Madrid. Uh, they brought in Jude Bellingham, which is a monster, monster signing for them. And I think just across European football, he's, he's such a good player. He's at, <clears throat> dare I say it, you know, don't, don't get angry Barcelona and Man United fans, but the world's biggest club in, in, in Real Madrid. And he's been given a chance by Carla Ancelotti to play as a sort of a number 10 at the head of a head of a midfield diamond. He wants to utilise his goal scoring uh, ability, which he thinks is, uh, is very important. So it's going to be fascinating to see how someone so young gets on at such a big club with such pressure as well. Pressure at Real Madrid is not like anything else anywhere in world football genuinely is very very difficult to to play there but Jude seems such a, a mature 
calm, well-rounded, well-developed human being, as well as a footballer, that I think he um, he should be okay. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Jude Bellingham uh, gets on. There has been an ongoing uh, transfer saga, Mark. I don't know if you've um, heard anything about, you know, apparently Real Madrid are quite interested in signing Kylian Mbappe. Um, maybe that has made some headlines uh, maybe uh, yeah, you've heard I've, I may have heard it once or twice over the last couple of well, couple of years really now, isn't it? Uh, genuinely, it's been uh, four or five years that Real Madrid have been interested in, in Kylian Mbappe. He was supposed to come last summer. He didn't. Uh, Real Madrid were wounded and hurt and everybody was saying, no, that's it. He's dead to us. He's finished. And, oh, what, he might be available again this summer. Oh, OK, let's try and sign him this summer. <laughs> so the um, feelings of uh, betrayal didn't last uh, too long. That said... At the time of recording, he still hasn't come. So it's ongoing, 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 and really rather boring for those of us who try to cover uh, Spanish football professionally. Uh, he will come at some point. Whether or not it's this summer uh, remains to be seen. If he does come this summer, wow. Real Madrid are not only favourites for La Liga, but they'd be strong favourites for the uh, Champions League as well. I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you look at Real Madrid's starting 11, there is a lot of quality there from 1 to 11. I think it's a very, very strong team. They've got strength in depth as well. Karim Benzema's gone. The reigning Ballon d'Or winner. It's a big, big loss, but maybe they'll be able to 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 cope without him, particularly when Kylian Mbappe comes. So I'm focused a lot of Real Madrid because that's where a lot of the transfer market has been uh, played out. But uh, Barcelona... The reigning La Liga champions, obviously. Shouldn't forget about them. Let's talk about them because they've, they've brought in Ilkay Gundogan, who's their main signing uh, of the summer. And OK, Man City fans might think, you know, ah, he's the wrong side of 30. Maybe was a little bit surplus to requirements. Maybe we can get on without him. He's the captain of the winners of the Champions League and he's chosen to come to Barcelona. So they're viewing this as quite a coup. And it's going to be interesting to see how and where he plays in this Barcelona side with the likes of Frankie de Jong, Pedri, Gavi, those four in the midfield four. It's pretty, pretty tasty. Um, and it's what Xavi wants, obviously, a lot of possession, uh, a good passing, and then um, try and feed balls into uh, to Robert Lewandowski. So Barcelona and Real Madrid will dominate the title race. We know that. Atletico Madrid will be outsiders. We know that. And, um, you know, then then it's all up for grabs, really. Uh, interesting you say about Barcelona. I, I'm intrigued to know more, and I think a lot of listeners will be as well, about Barcelona and their current situation and about being able to register plays. Do they need to sell beforehand? I mean, De Jong's been mentioned time and time again over the last couple of seasons about having to sell to make room for new signings. Um, is that still a problem <laughs> with Barcelona? Oh, yeah. Massive problem. I mean, at the time of recording, um, they haven't registered any of their new signings. So Gundogan's not registered. Um, Oriol Romeo isn't registered and Inigo Martinez. Three signings that they've made not registered with the league. They haven't registered players that they've renewed their contracts, like Gavi and Ronald Araujo. They haven't been registered either. So uh, they've still got massive financial issues. And basically, um, everyone is still for sale. At Barcelona, if someone comes in with a big offer for a big player, they will consider it. There are maybe one or two who might be untouchable, but such is the financial problems that Barcelona have is that everybody needs to be for sale. They were hoping to get money for Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres this summer. That hasn't happened. They're, they're still at the club. Uh, Usman Dembélé is left, but he hasn't brought in a huge amount of money. It will give them a little bit more leeway in terms of the... Uh, 
uh, financial uh, regulations for uh, uh, registering players, but still, they've still got these, uh, these these financial issues. They will continue to have these financial issues. They're moving away from the Camp Nou this season. They're not going to be playing in the Camp Nou. Camp Nou is being renovated. They're playing in a, the Olympic Stadium, Montjuic, which is much smaller. Mm, they will have much less revenue on from match day. And it's, uh, it's going to be a completely different experience as well. So there's a lot going on. At Barcelona, Mark, off off the field as well as uh, as well as on the field, which actually just puts the the league title last season into perspective. It was it was a really really huge achievement for uh, for Barcelona, and if they were to defend this title this season, it would be even bigger. It would be an even bigger achievement. So uh, that's the challenge for uh, for Xavi and his side. Do you do you think they're they're going to be able to do it? I mean, that's the thing, right? So they're moving out of the new camp and they're moving into another stadium, smaller stadium, less revenue, financial issues. Can they defy the odds again, Barcelona, and retain the La Liga title? I mean, it would be defying the odds. I think Real Madrid are pretty strong favourites, um, given their uh, transfer um, dealings, um, given that they um, um, tend to come back strongly when they have a poor season. And last season was a quote-unquote poor season for Real Madrid because they only won the Cup and they only got to the Champions League semi-finals uh, and they only finished second. So that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty bad season for Real Madrid just to give you the level of expectations. And when they tend to have those poor seasons, they tend to come back really strongly. And like I said, the signing of uh, Jude Bellingham is a, is a, is a statement signing and uh, they're definitely favourites, definitely favourites. But, you know, Barcelona are no pushovers. And I think Barcelona... Okay, Dembélé is a bit of a loss uh, in terms of being that kind of differential player that can win you games with a piece of magic. But uh, bringing in Gundogan is, I think, a more transition to playing with four midfielders rather than the two wide wingers, which Xavi wanted at the start of last season. He wanted to play with both Rafinha and Dembélé. And then he saw that that didn't necessarily work. And he moulded it into a sort of a four-man midfield with Gavi playing as a, a hybrid uh, third attacker, fourth midfielder, and that worked. So I think now with Gundogan coming in, we're going to see more of that with Rafinha and Robert Lewandowski. It's still a very strong team. So it's going to be very interesting to see those two fight it out again. And it's not like the Premier League where things are... Um, I was going to say things are closer in terms of the Premier League title, but we've all predicted Man City to walk the title uh, pretty comfortably. So I think it might actually be a closer title race in, in Spain this season than, uh, than in England. With uh, interest to know about your thoughts on Kylian Mbappe because we, we talked about just before about how many years now they've been he's been linked with Real Madrid and you said there that he will eventually end up Real Madrid. Is there a feeling in Madrid that it'll happen now? I mean, he's been he's been basically sent to the reserves at PSG. They're adamant they're going to they're going to they want to sell him because he's not going to renew his contract. They don't want him to walk for free. Do you see him? He's been heavily linked with a Premier League club, and and obviously there was a Saudi massive big world record bid coming for him. Do you see him staying at PSG or do you see him going around Madrid or do you see him possibly even ending up in the, in, in the Premier League and maybe even taking longer to get to Real Madrid? I think that one season loan idea to the Premier League is a, is a, is a difficult one. Real Madrid are pretty calm about this, you know. There doesn't seem to be a lot of panic about this because they know that he's not going to renew next season or at least they, they think they know because they have been uh, misled by uh, Mbappe and his uh, clan uh, previously. So they may be a little bit wary, but they, they feel calm that if it doesn't happen this summer, it will happen next summer. So they're biding their time. The closer it gets to the transfer deadline, the more his valuation decreases. So they can come in with a lower bid closer to the time and get him this season. And if not, 
they'll wait until next season and get him then for free. So there isn't necessarily a feeling of desperation from Real Madrid. We need to get this done now because they know they can bide their time. They can wait to get close to the transfer deadline and then try and get him then or get him next season. Um, we're going to talk about Awamabil. He's obviously in Cardiff uh, on the in Andalusia down on the south coast there. Hasn't gone to plan for him. He was loaned out uh, in January to Sparta Prague. Um, now he's back at the club for pre-season. What's your insight on, on Awa and where he may end up if he ends up leaving the club? Do you think he'll leave? I do. I do think he'll leave, sadly, uh, because um, I know a few people at the at the club and they've spoken really highly about him as a as a person. Um, you know, someone described him to me as an incredible human being. They, re- they really liked him. People from the club travelled to Qatar to support him when Australia were playing in the in the World Cup. They they really like him as a person, but as a footballer, it hasn't really happened for him. And Cadiz have have signed uh, Darwin Machis, who's a Venezuelan wide forward, who's got experience in La Liga, who is probably going to play in the position that Mabil would would favour. So my feeling and what I'm hearing potentially is that he doesn't necessarily have a future at, at Cadiz for uh, for the season, which is a shame because I think everybody would have quite liked this move to uh, uh, to work out, and particularly from an Australian perspective. It was it was great to have an Australian player uh, in La Liga. But it hasn't worked out. The loan move to Sparta Prague last season didn't necessarily increase his standing with uh, with Cadiz, and it does feel like he's not going to be there for uh, for this season. And you'll have to you'll have to look for somewhere else. Well, that's good news to me because he'll he'll actually free up my car parking space in my house because he keeps going over there and parking in my driveway, calling me, messaging me, and going, "Can I leave my car here?" Because um, parking's at a premium there. No, look, he's a top guy. You're right. He is a wonderful guy. He's an amazing human being, and I, I I agree with you. I from what my conversations with him is that yeah, I think um, that sort of uh, the, the the opportunity for him to stay at Cardiff and play regular football seems very very slim, and uh, would most likely be looking to try and find uh, another club, uh, which which will be great to see because he he needs to be playing regular football, um, and he's an exciting player, and certainly we want him for the Socceroos as well. I want to talk about David Silva. Obviously, the news broke like last in the last week or so. That he's retired, did his ACL in preseason. I mean, let's just go. 2010 World Cup winner, two-time European Championship titles um, in 2008 and 2012, 125 caps, 35 goals. He's a four-time Premier League winner, two-time FA Cup, and five League Cups in England with City. What a player, and how big a loss will he be for Real Sociedad? Uh, what a player, as you said, Mark. I mean, it's an incredible legacy. And yeah, those 35 goals, I think he's the fourth top scorer in the history of the Spain national team as well. He is um, um, a player that people love to watch. And even I think opposition fans would be able to appreciate the the skill uh, that he had. But he wasn't just skillful, he was also tough as well. And even though he was slight and, and, and small, he could get in there, he could make challenges, he could hold people off the ball. He had a lot of attributes, you know. He was a really high-level player right across the uh, right across the board, and he enjoyed a magnificent career, which deserved not to end like this. And it's a real desperate shame to see him having to retire like this. It was quite nice actually to see his his retirement video. I mean, retirement video. He did a video that was posted on Real Sociedad's um, social media, and it was quite understated, quite calm quite sort of reflective and very sort of indicative of the guy himself, not big, not flashy, not showy, um, just quite sincere. And um, I thought that was a, that was a nice 
sort of a way to show what kind of player and, and person that he is. It's a massive blow for Real Sociedad, absolutely huge. He was vital for them getting into the Champions League last season. And he, I mean, it, he, he played so well in big games as well. There was a game against Real Madrid when they won last towards the back end of last season. He was just majestic. You didn't, this guy's 37, are you kidding me? He was just extraordinary. And to have that and to lose that and to also, you know, be going into the Champions League and to have one of the few players in that squad, because it is a very, very, very young uh, Real Sociedad squad, to have one of the few players with top-level Champions League experience that would have been uh, hugely, hugely important for them. So, yeah, it's a massive blow for them and for the league as well. I mean, he was a genuine superstar, even though he was 37. He was such a top-level player. So it's a, it's a blow for, for, for Real Sociedad, but also fans of Spanish football and football in general that he's not going to be playing anymore. Yeah, it's really sad that it's happened just in you know in the preseason. It wasn't planned. It's one of those things that you kind of wish that you could end on your own own terms. And unfortunately, due to injuries, had to stop. So, goes into my next question. Really, are there any clubs that can compete with Real Madrid and Barcelona? Have we got any outside hopes of trying to contest for the La Liga title this season? Uh, there's one, and they're Atletico Madrid, and they have done it, and they've won it a couple of times in the last 10 years, and they have been able to to compete. And had they not conceded a goal in injury time on the final game of last season, they would have finished above Real Madrid uh, in second. So they're a team that um, has the quality to be able to come close, whether they have the strength in depth. Um, they were catastrophic last season in the Champions League, by the way, and that's what kind of conditioned how many people saw their season because they finished bottom of a Champions League group that was eminently winnable and um, they um, they didn't manage to, uh, to, to do anything in Europe. Uh, that said, when they went out of Europe, they improved massively in La Liga and their second half of the season was, was really quite um, extraordinary and had they had that form in the first half of the season, in this, uh, uh, then they could have actually potentially uh, challenged for the title. They've got Antoine Griezmann, who's one of the best players in the world. They've got Diego Simeone, who's one of the best managers in the world. They've got Jan Oblak, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. They've got a lot of good players and they should be able to come relatively close, if not win the title. So those are three. There's the, 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 Part of the Diego Simeone legacy at Atletico Madrid is getting them into the conversation. When we talk about the title, when we talk about the big two, Atletico are in there now. They're in the conversation. They're outsiders, but they're there and they weren't there when he, uh, when he turned up. Other than that, no, in terms of winning the, uh, the, the the La Liga title. But fourth spot, as it was last season, is wildly open. Real Sociedad managed to claim it with, like I said, a, a very, very young squad, a squad of local players. Uh, they're from the province of Guipuzcoa, which is the smallest province in uh, Spain. And yet a large part of their squad are from that province. In fact, a large part of... Premier League managers are from their province because you know Ola's from there, Arteta's uh, from there, Lopetegui's from there. There's, there's there's a lot of football coming from uh, from Guipuzcoa. They have to balance uh, Champions League uh, football with, uh, with with La Liga, which is going to be tough. Uh, which means that the likes of Villarreal, the likes of Sevilla, uh, the likes of Athletic uh, Club from Bilbao are also going to be thinking maybe we can push for top four. So fourth is going to be open, but in terms of the top three uh, and that title race, it's between those three. So Golden Boot. No Benzema. So is there anyone that can actually contest with Robert Lewandowski? He scored 23 goals last season. Obviously, he's at Barcelona. Um, we'll have service. He is a natural-born goal scorer. Tell me there's someone else in Spain that can actually contest with him. 
there almost certainly isn't, Mark. Um, Robert <laughs> Lewandowski is a, a goal machine. He had a big, big um, drop-off in the middle of the season. So he started unbelievably, finished pretty strongly, but I think the World Cup maybe affected him. And, and for the middle part of the season, he, he, he wasn't necessarily there and firing all cylinders and he went quite a lot of games without scoring. Obviously, there's no World Cup uh, in the middle of the season this this year, so uh, that will help him. I think it's very, very difficult to see anyone coming close to to, to Robert Lewandowski. Real Madrid have got uh, Vinicius, they've got Rodrigo Goes. We know that Jude Bellingham's going to be playing as a number ten, and they've signed Joselu, who was a very decent striker for a relegated side last season. Uh, he scored 16 league goals for Espanyol, who went down. He's a decent striker. He's gotten himself into the Spain national team, but I don't think he's going to come anywhere close to, to, to Robert Lewandowski. So in terms of golden boot, it's very hard to look past him. So you mentioned earlier on before, La Liga winners. Who's it going to be this season? Real Madrid. Is it Real Madrid's to lose? Or can Barca make it back-to-back? Yeah, I think it is... Um... I think Real Madrid are favourites, definitely. Um, Barcelona, just the, the, the feeling around them, and I'm talking pre-season because now then the season starts and they have a, a good start and we all look a little bit silly. I think the feeling around Barcelona is still dominated by what's going off on off the pitch with the financial issues, with players trying to get registered, with uh, players not being able to be bought in because of financial constraints. So there's a lot of talk of that. I don't know how much it affects the players. But the general aura and feeling around the club is certainly one that is dominated by financial issues, whereas Real Madrid seem a lot more settled, seem a lot more focused and have a very, very strong uh, starting eleven, even without Kylian Mbappé and Karim Benzema. So for me, yes, Real Madrid are uh, pretty clear favourites and I do expect them to win La Liga this season. Well, thank you very much, Phil, for your insight in La Liga. Obviously, expert on La Liga. Um, looking forward to catching up with you every week to t- discuss all things La Liga and, of course, Premier League. Um, and I uh, hope you enjoy it and see you soon. It's going to be good, Mark. Looking forward to it. The two best leagues in the world on one podcast. That's all anybody needs, right? Opta Sport f- Football Podcast. Uh, got you covered every week. So, yeah, looking forward to it. This weekend, the Premier League and La Liga returns to Opta Sport for two Absolutely enormous seasons. Also a reminder that the only place to watch every match of the FIFA Women's World Cup is on Optus Sport. The FA Women's Super League 2 returns in October for what will be a massive campaign off the back of the World Cup. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. See you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.